This is Lauren Fiorelli, and I'm here at the Park Slope branch of the Brooklyn Public Library with Richard Isaacson uh, to record an interview for Our Streets, Our Stories, Oral History Project. Um, and so, uh, Richard, how long have you lived in Park Slope? About 35 years. Uh, we moved here in 1981. Um, before that, we had lived very briefly in Cobble Hill. And, uh, when I first got married, <laughs> And we were there in Cobble Hill for about a year and a half before we started looking for a house uh, after we had gotten married. Are you from Brooklyn? Did you grow up in Brooklyn? Or no, I grew up in the Bronx, actually. Uh, and I lived near Van Cortlandt Park uh, oh, in yeah. the Bronx. So I've always kind of lived near parks all my life. And originally near Van Cortlandt Park, then when I was in Manhattan for two or three years. I lived near Central Park on the east side of Manhattan. And after I got married, the apartment was too small, so we moved to Brooklyn to find some place that was a little bigger and that was affordable. And after about a year there, we started looking for a house. And I first came to Park Slope while we were in kind of in the middle of actually negotiating on a house in Cobble Hill. Uh, and I came to one of the concerts at uh, the Bandshell uh, in Prospect Park at that time. And I immediately fell in love with the neighborhood. And I told my wife, you have to come out here <laughs> and take a look at this. What was it about the neighborhood that you fell in love with? Well, the architecture was very beautiful. The park itself was a huge attraction for the kind of activities that were going on, the kind of concerts and other activities. I, would, I think the first time I got my wife to come was to a house tour that was being run by the Park Slope Civic Council at the time, and really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, and you could see there were more neighborhood organizations than we were used to seeing in either Manhattan or the part of Brooklyn that we were at first living in. Right. So that was another big attraction. And while we were still in the process of buying the house that we eventually bought, which is on 16th Street between uh, 8th Avenue and Prospect Park West, we, uh, while we were doing that, found out about this organization called ROSAS. It's called Revitalization of the Southern Area of the Slope. And we joined that actually before we even finished buying the house because we were interested in finding out more about the neighborhood. How did you interact with the group? Like, what was, did they host events? Or? Yes, they, well, they, they were originally formed, uh, the original name was Revitalization of the uh, 7th Avenue South. And the original idea was to, there were a lot of vacant stores uh, south of 9th Street at the time. There was actually a big division in the neighborhood between the more developed parts of uh, Park Slope in the north and in the central part. Where even the original housing stock was a little more luxurious. Uh, but uh, the whole part of Park Slope had actually gone downhill by the 
60s and early 70s. And during the Brownstone Revival movement, there was already a lot of fixing up of houses in the north and the central part where some of the houses seem to be more interesting in terms of detail and architecture. But there were plenty of good houses in the southern part of the slope. It just had been a little bit more of a working class neighborhood originally. But uh, when we started being interested in moving to the slope, the real, what we could afford, the real estate agents told us, don't look in the north, look in the south. <laughs> so, and I think there was even a store. My wife doesn't remember it, but I seem to re remember that there was either a store or a restaurant around 9th Street that was called South of the Border because uh, there was such a marked distinction at that time. Yeah. And over the years, uh, I think uh, that distinction has kind of gotten erased. Uh, and was, it, was it something that you really felt when you moved here? That was yeah, well, there was a real sense of... there. Was a the Park Slope Civic Council had been active for probably over a hundred years in Brooklyn, and they were much more concerned with that central and northern area of the slope, because that's kind of where they were located, and Rosas was probably formed partly because they felt that the other part of the slope was being neglected. And there were more vacant storefronts towards the south. So what kind of things did Rosas actually do? Well, originally they were just trying to promote uh, more development in the area, more development of the storefronts and everything. Uh, also just to promote a, more of a sense of community and to focus on community problems. But eventually by the... Um, well, starting in 1983, they formed the idea of forming an LGC and getting together a project to actually revitalize the shopping strip along 7th Avenue. And from 83 to about 86, I think it was, they were working to get funds from the city and state, which we eventually got. And those funds were used to provide matching funds for people who wanted to upgrade their storefronts, put in security. It also provided funds for putting in tr planting trees, putting in garbage receptacles. Did uh, one of the things that they did was a booklet of guidelines for storefront renovation which had the intent that to prevent like really garish storefronts from being created along, to create a more uniform sort of feel along the street. Interesting. So they sort yeah. of suggested, here's what mm -hmm. you could do. You know, it was suggested guidelines. It was, I mean, there was no way to require anything, but I think a lot of the merchants were very receptive to that idea of making it a more attractive strip along that area. And so did you sort of see the success of that? Or? Yes, uh, I mean, the problem was we were very successful during the run of the project, which, but then around 87, 
the city cut back on funds for the LDCs in this area. And I think there was kind of a political thing going on too between the city council and the borough president. The borough presidents had had their own funding, discretionary funding cut by the mayor's office really. And, uh, and the city council was trying to get people to work through them rather than through the borough presidents. And, and when they did do that, borough president Golden apparently was not too happy with that. And he ended up just cutting off funds pretty sum summarily to a number of the LDCs at that point. So our project, the, we had had a project director we actually had a storefront on 7th Avenue, which we had gotten uh, very cheaply from, but we had, we had to fix it up ourselves with sweat equity, sort of. Uh, and we had a project director who was very good, excellent guy, who really mobilized things. We helped form a merchants association uh, along the, sort of the strip there. And they did promotion, shopping promotions. They, and the idea really was that by making a strong sort of spine along 7th Avenue, that would also help development uh, in the rest of the neighborhood. So after that ran out, uh, we started to do, get more involved in other sort of smaller projects. And, uh, and we had a newsletter that uh, provided information on various aspects of homeownership and we're researching your building history. Were people subscribed to the newsletter? Or? It wasn't very widely distributed. It was distributed mostly within the membership because we really didn't have a lot of funds to do much. But we started having fundraisers, which are the first couple were uh, at uh, around Christmas time, a holiday arts and music festival in the armory. In the armory yeah. was where you hosted it. Yes, fact, we used to have most of our meetings in the officers' club of the armory, and until uh, the armory passed away from National Guard control and then the city had taken it over for a while and then eventually it was turned over to... There's a lot of controversy over the Omri over the years, both because of the homeless shelter there and because of what, was, what were going to be the plans for after the city bowed out of running it. So. What ended up happening? It ended up being, uh, eventually being uh, managed. Well, actually, there's two things going on there. There's still a homeless shelter there. And we were very influential in keeping the population there capped at, for a long time, it was capped at 70 women there. Uh, there was an attempt at one point to turn it into an assessment uh, center, which would have had a people just coming transiently for short periods in and out. And we were able to keep it as a kind of more, not permanent home, but more of a long-term thing where people could actually feel like they're part of a community. And there was a lot of controversy over the shelter there because there were some groups that were adamantly opposed to having anybody there at all. They, 
raised a lot of panic about how there'd be a lot of crime and disease because of women. And they wanted and they, to shut the shelter down. And they wanted to shut the shelter. And most of the residents were not thrilled at having a shelter there, but we were trying to make it something manageable that wasn't threatening. <laughs> and eventually, the city finally turned the management over of the shelter over to a nonprofit group called Canva. And I would say that they've done an excellent job of managing it. And, and so do you, do you, is that discourse still sort of in the community about, about the shelter, or is it I think I think things are pretty settled down about, I don't think there, people get too upset. I mean, if you suddenly heard that there were plans to expand it, you, I'm sure you would get people getting mad again. <laughs> but. What was your role in, in Rosas? Did you have a title, or is it all just sort of Oh, well, we had most of the time there was either co-presidents or president and vice president. Um, my wife was the longest serving president of Rosas. Uh, I think she had about seven terms. Uh, How long was the term? Uh, I think it was a year. A long time. So, and uh, there were we were not founding members uh, of it. Uh, I think. Probably the two most influential people in Rosas were a couple called Carl and Judy Kaiserman. Yes, uh, they were there from the start. And Carl was an architect, and he also was involved with the Park Slope Civic Council. So he was kind of our liaison with the Civic Council, as well as doing various roles with Rosas. And his wife was the second longest serving president. And she was probably the one that did the most work in getting the fundraising committees together and putting our annual fundraisers and stuff like that. So, what period was she president for? Like, you were talking about this period during the 80s, mm -hmm. so sort of what were like, your wife's terms and his wife's terms? Well, my wife was president the last up until, well, I can tell you that, but it was kind of on and off different people. I mean, Judy was, well, the, the founding father of Rosas uh, was somebody named Peter Altshuler, but uh, he moved out of the neighborhood after a couple of years. So I don't think he, aside from that year that it was founded in 78, he was, in a leadership position after that. That's so interesting that someone had the had the energy and the will to create a community organization and then but left so quickly. Well, I don't. I'm not sure exactly when he left the neighborhood. I didn't really know him, but I think he was gone by the time I joined. So. Yeah. But then, uh, well, Judy was president eighty eighty one. Let's see. 87, 86, 87, she was a, well, it would be kind of hard to, <laughs> really. my, my wife was president the last, one, two, three, four, five, well, almost the last five years, and then uh, our neighbor, Barbara Barron, had been co-president with her for a couple of years, and I think she was the president at the final year before we merged with the Civic Council in 2001. Mm -hmm. uh, 
Um, so uh, aside from some fundraising mm -hmm. and, and helping revitalize, did you, did, also, did you also host like community events or anything like that? Oh yes, we, we had a lot of community meetings on all sorts of different uh, issues within the neighborhood from drugs and crime to transit to, and we, we also had events like a, a boat ride at the centennial of the Brooklyn Bridge. Uh, uh, we had a, we had talks on history of the area, had a nice talk at the uh, Prospect Park Picnic House about the, oh no, it was, no, it was the Environmental Center. We had a talk uh, on the Battle of Brooklyn by somebody had written a book about that. Mm. Um, Carl Kaiserman would periodically give talks either on the history or the architecture of the slope. Um, Is that something you got interested in at all? I mean, you definitely I'm, got in, I'm interested, but I'm not, definitely not as knowledgeable about it as some people. But, uh, we were also influential in getting the house tour extended to the southern air, you know, the slope. And the first time was in 79, I think, that they did that. Um, so do you feel pretty rooted in Park Slope? Or I'm very rooted there, no. I think I feel more rooted here than, well, definitely more rooted than I did in Manhattan. I guess I was fairly rooted in my neighborhood when I was growing up as a kid, but I wasn't as aware of any neighborhood organizations there during when I was in the Bronx. Yeah, what are your feelings on the different sort of character between the Bronx where you grew up and, and Brooklyn? Well, both are pretty liberal communities. The area that I grew up in, in the Bronx, um, had a strong uh, relationship with uh, some of the un early unions. There was co-op housing in the neighborhood, although I lived in a private house. My father was a doctor and he was kind of the, treated kind of like the community doctor, really. But, uh, and, but I must say that I had a much stronger feeling about community organizations and involvement when I came to Park Slope. And also it's a very diverse neighborhood. Uh, when we moved into our house, our neighbor, most of our neighbors were probably Irish-American. But there were a lot of Jews in the neighborhood. They were very, a very big gay and lesbian community. And I think it's a very tolerant neighborhood, which is something that I enjoy also. Would you ever leave Park Slope? Not willingly. <laughs> I really can't imagine someplace else I'd feel as comfortable. But, uh, but I love New York in general. Any last things you want to share with me about Park Slope, about Brooklyn, about living here? Uh, I guess I'm not being too coherent chronologically here. There's always a lot of complaints about gentrification in this neighborhood. And, uh, it is an issue. You, you, you do worry about where people 
who have to leave because of migrants are going to end up with. But I guess for, for me, it's worked out very nicely. <laughs> you know, I mean, we happened to move here at a time. We thought the prices were very high, but now they've skyrocketed. But you sometimes worry, is it going to become a neighborhood of just of rich people? Is it going to lose the diversity it has? Uh, one of the things that I find very encouraging is that I see more and more young people move into the neighborhood. And a lot of them seem to have fairly diverse backgrounds. And uh, so I guess there's still a lot of hope for the area. And I haven't seen any decline in the neighborhood since I lived here. It's all been pretty much on an upward trajectory. So I have a lot of optimism about it. Thanks for talking with me today, Richard. Thank you. <laughs>